Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. I know I was talking about this recently about how it feels like things are shifting, like the world is starting to open up in the U.S. A lot of people have their vaccinations. We're starting to see people, you know, feeling a little hopeful getting together. Yet again, here in B.C., we've still got some challenges. You know, we're in a third wave. Um, we've seen numbers go up and now they're coming back down. So there's this sense of like almost living, almost getting back to life. And I've been thinking about it a lot that. That sense of almost being there can make you feel like you're on hold. But you know what? You don't need to be on hold. You don't need to be on hold at all. And in fact, that sense of almost being there, that's actually still life. And one of the things that I've been really trying to get myself to do is live, like really focus on living. You know, it, it doesn't mean like in a month or two months or three months when a lot of people are vaccinated, life doesn't begin then. Life is now. So how do I make the most out of that in every day? And it's been cool. You know, I've been doing a lot of stuff, playing a lot of guitar, talking to friends on the phone, on Zoom, you know, spending time with my family. It's been cool. It's been really cool. I've also been really focusing a lot on running and cycling and uh, it's been fun. You know, I've been enjoying myself. So I got to encourage everyone. Don't wait. Don't wait for that vaccination moment, you know, like stay safe, you know, stick with all the, all the restrictions. But what I'm saying is don't wait to live, live now. So whatever restrictions you have live within those restrictions, but make sure you're investing in, in your day. So with that, I, I want to uh, introduce you to who we're going to be talking about today, which is someone who I think is really investing in, not just in their day, but in life. And that's Mitchell Scott. Uh, Mitchell Scott is the co-founder and CEO of the Very Good Food Company. It's an emerging plant-based food technology company that was the top IPO globally in 2020. He oversees the overall direction and growth of the company and its brands, including the Very Good Butchers and the Cultured Nut. Joining us for this conversation is another true liver of life, my colleague, Monica Kroc. Monica is a physical presence and mindfulness coach here at Cadence, a yoga teacher, and also a fellow vegan. This is the first time we're bringing a co-host on the show, and I'm super excited to have her here. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a huge shout out to my man, Dave Larson. He has up until this point been the editor of the podcast. And now Dave is going to focus on his own business. So Dave, you know, we've loved having you here. Thank you so much. And uh, best of luck as you head forward. And that also means we're going to welcome our new producer and podcast editor, Spencer Priest, as in Judas Priest. <laughs> And man, we're super psyched to have you in the fold. So with that, we want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to this episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. everyone and welcome back to the show. Uh, so for anyone who knows anything about Cadence or who's followed the podcast, you know that I am a vegan 
And I like to think I'm not an annoying vegan, but I probably am to someone, maybe everyone. I don't know who's to say, but something I love talking about is uh, vegan business. I'm super interested in the story behind um, small and big vegan businesses and very much so like understanding, like how do you stay true to what you're about when you started and also continue to grow. And today we have got a great example of that. Um, Before I get into that though, I also want to introduce my co-host for today, Monica Kroc. Monica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Okay, so Monica and I are co-workers and we are going to interview today's guest together. It's the first time on Cadence that we've had this kind of back and forth, so I'm super excited about it. So with that, Mitchell Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, excited to be here. Okay, so man, uh, first question, it's a hard one, but, a, but an interesting one. Tell us the story of Very Good Foods. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so I guess I'll take you back spring, summer of 2016. Uh, there's this guy named James, classically trained French chef from England. Uh, so he's English, but knows how to do French cooking. Uh, he moves to Vancouver, uh, starts working at a a plant-based restaurant called Heirloom, ends up watching a few documentaries, uh, goes vegan. He then meets a girl, has a kid, you know, all in the space of a a few months or a year or however long that takes. Uh, he then moves to a place called Demon Island. So I, I'm not, not sure where your listeners are from, but west coast of Canada, you've got Vancouver. You take the ferry over Vancouver Island. Victoria's at the bottom, about two and a half hour drive north. You then take another 10 minute ferry and you're on an island of a thousand people called Demon Island. Uh, he gets there, very quickly realizes that there's no work for him. There's no restaurants there. Um, he's going to have to get a little bit entrepreneurial. Uh, at the same time, he's kind of missing the taste of meat. Uh, and he's going to the grocery store and he's finding that everything, the products on the shelves are just not great. I mean, they're full of ingredients he can't pronounce. Uh, they don't taste great. Texture isn't that good either. Uh, and basically, he wants something that he can feed his, his growing young family and feel good about. Um, so he goes into the kitchen, uh, comes out about a month later with two products, uh, English breakfast sausage uh, and a classic veggie burger. Um, so these are like a, a handmade, it's called seitan. Uh, so it's a technique for pa- making plant-based meats. Uh, he's using a lot of veggies, beans, herbs and spices, and then wheat gluten to bind it all together. He takes these to the local farmer's market, sells out in about half an hour, and he's like, wow, this, they, like, they like this stuff. So that summer, summer 2016, him and his wife would spend every week during the week just making these products in their little kitchen and selling out every weekend at the farmer's market. That's where I kind of come into the picture. Uh, so it was actually at a family barbecue. Uh, it turns out that James's wife's brother married my sister. <laughs> so me and James are our stepbrothers-in-law once removed or something like that. I'd grown up vegetarian. I uh, had a lot of not so great veggie burgers over the years. Uh, I tried these. I was blown away. He just really nailed it in terms of texture, in terms of flavor. I think his chef background really helped with that. I'd been working remotely for a Japanese company at the time in software and games for about five years. I uh, just kind of traveling around and working. Was ready for a change. I uh, had always wanted to kind of start something. Had never had what I thought was a, a good idea or a product. We just kind of got to talking and decided to team up and, and see where we could take this. Our first event was a little pop-up in Victoria, so, you know, two and a half hours north. Uh, Christmas market at the Victoria Public Market. We set up there, with took our coolers down, set up at this little six-foot table, and once again had a great experience. We posted on the local Vegans of Victoria Facebook group beforehand. Had about 100 people show up, sold out. And while we were there, uh, the market manager approached us about a full-time retail space. So basically, there's all these day vendors in the inside with their... There wares, then there's some restaurants and full-time retail spaces around the outside of this market. 
kind of like the Granville Market in Vancouver. I'm not sure where you guys are based. They were like, yeah, you guys are popular. Want to check out one of these booths? And we were kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll take a look. We'll see what that's about. Uh, and we kind of just dove into it. I mean, a couple months later, we opened the first vegan butcher shop on the west coast of Canada. Uh, had about a thousand people show up on our opening day and had to to shut down for a week after that just to restock everything. So that was February 2017. Since then, we've been struggling to keep up with demand uh, and to keep kind of growing the business. And that was the the Very Good Butchers. I got a, a few other quick things I'm just going to touch on. So that was the Very Good Butchers. And the idea was this vegan butcher shop, high quality meat alternatives, not just burgers and sausages, but doing other products as well, like ribs and steaks and pepperonis. So we had the little the butcher shop in the Victoria Public Market. We ended up launching a Kickstarter pretty early on to expand into a larger space. We were on Dragon's Den. We were just kind of, yeah, continuing to, to grow the business and build a community. As of now, so we're now kind of the very good food company. We went public about 10 months or so ago as a very good food company. Uh, and that was just because we didn't want to just be doing plant-based meats. We saw all these awesome things happening in plant-based cheese and dairy alternatives, and we really wanted to to offer kind of a range of products to our customers with the end goal of kind of you know going into your fridge or pantry and, and taking those animal-based products and replacing them with a tastier, healthier, better uh, plant-based version. So that's kind of what we're, we're trying to do at The Very Good Food Company. We sell online across North America. We're getting into grocery stores. And then we have these, these butcher shop restaurants, which basically kind of introduce our, our product uh, to people. So you went from the farmer's market to public market in three years. Can you tell us about the process involved in that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are two quite different markets. It just kind of happened. So basically, as we were you know, in year two or something, we were, we were growing. Uh, realized that we needed to raise capital to, you know, production equipment's expensive. Uh, we needed to raise some money. So I was kind of out there pitching the company on the circuit for, you know, six months to a year or so, talking to VCs, talking to angel investors, you know, putting us out there. Had some interest. I had some term sheets. They weren't great. And then one day I was actually just delivering orders in Vancouver, just delivering the orders to this nice place in West Vancouver. Got talking to the guy who was I was delivering to. Turns out he's a customer, loves our products. And wants to invest, but his whole thing is he doesn't like investing in private companies. I guess there, you know, there's less liquidity. So he kind of talks to us, uh, and we end up putting a deal together. Uh, basically, him and some friends put in some money uh, so we can scale up operations with the goal of taking the co- company public on the the small cap Canadian exchange. And we get yeah, we just I mean we look at the other offers on the table and we decide to to kind of go this way. I mean it's definitely not traditional. You know the traditional food company route is you you stay private, you take some VC money if you're doing well, you grow. And then you get acquired by a big multinational or, or maybe you IPO, you know, 10 years down the line. So it was definitely early for us. But I mean, at the time, you know, beyond me to just IPO, there was a lot of retail interest. Uh, we already had a lot of kind of investors from our, our front funder campaign. So it's an equity crowdfunding platform. So we'd already allowed our customers and our fans to invest in the company. So we saw this as kind of the next evolution. In terms of process, I mean, it was long uh, and hard. I mean, we did, you know, because we did it in three years. So the audit you know, went back to our first year in business, which was still kind of shoebox accounting at that point. So I'm digging through all these receipts, trying to piece everything together. You know, there's a lot of legal work involved as well. You're basically paying lawyers to, to make a 120 plus page document for you. And then we were all ready to IPO uh, in, you know, February-ish, uh, February, March, and then COVID hit. So, you know, the market's tanked. It kind of put the plans off by a few months. But then we ended up, yeah, getting everything together. We IPO'd. Uh, and it's been, yeah, it went really well. Market responded really positively to it. And we've been able to kind of raise additional capital, scale the business uh, and keep growing. 
Awesome, man. All right. So bouncing off Monica's question, like that's a fast time to move from just like essentially you're doing something in your kitchen to really like being out in the market. Uh, as I'm listening to you talk and I'm listening to your story, so much of it is just like authentic. You know, you're just you sound like people who care about what you do. But how are you going to keep it that way? That is fast growth. And it seems like it'd be pretty easy to go from being an extension of who you are to becoming something very different very quickly if you didn't have your um, hands on the reins. I mean, yes, we're, we're you know, a publicly traded company now. Myself and my co-founder are still the largest shareholders by a long shot. We're still very much in the driver's seat. We're really careful with who we hire in terms of screening for, for culture and for fit uh, and really trying to make a core part of the, the company being our, our mission, which is you know, to get more people to eat more plants and really rethink the way they interact with food. Like I would love to, to be in a place in you know, 10, 20 years from now where animal-based proteins and, alter- and, and food is, is the alternative. Plant-based is kind of the norm. That's where we're driving towards. That growth is great, but it, it also means that we're making all these new people, like we're introducing them to plant-based foods and we're, we're selling online and in our butcher shop. So we get that direct connection with our consumer. Whereas I think you lose a little something if, if you're just in retail and grocery stores and you don't have that direct uh, connection. So I think we're doing as much as we can to, to stay close to our customer and create products for them that change their, their lives or change their perceptions about plant-based eating. So Mitchell, what did your personal path to veganism look like? So I grew up vegetarian and so I was vegetarian for a long, long time, whatever, 20 something years. Then I ate meat for like sporadically for a couple years. And then when I started getting involved with James, the Very Good Butchers, and I, w- I just went full vegan. I think when I was uh, growing up vegetarian, it was just the normal thing to do in my family. Like, I don't think my parents taught us too much about the why. Like they certainly didn't show us, you know, factory farming videos or talk to us too much about all the all the, the reasons. It was just kind of normal. This is what we did. We didn't, didn't eat meat. And so then when I started, you know, getting involved with James, I learned a bit more like about the dairy industry specifically. And I and and then at the same time, I felt like I'd I'd been out there. I'd, I'd kind of tried meat. Uh, and a handful of times I wasn't missing anything I had these alternatives which were really really great and I just didn't didn't feel the need or the desire to, so I just went kind of full vegan kind of then and there in terms of like it's easier now than it used to be for sure I mean growing up it was you know we, we cooked and ate at home all the time because there was nothing at restaurants or there was you know like one of those burgers they put in the toaster or but now like every restaurant has has at least one or two half decent vegan options like the quality of the products in grocery stores, like better even in, in a lot of cases. Like um, my wife doesn't really eat or like normal cheese, but she loves plant-based cheese. Um, she's not she's not vegan or anything, but she just prefers plant-based cheese if she's going to eat it. So yeah, I think a lot of things have changed and it's it's easier than ever to be plant-based. Yeah, so Monica and I, uh, we do like a, a lot of charcuterie boards. You know, we, met, we, mess, we mess hard on that. And, uh, you know, like we talk a lot about like, how insane it is the the options that people have now and certainly from when i or when monica first became vegan it was like it's just a game changer like the world is different i want to go back to uh, to something around hiring people and you know I, I like the care that you're talking about of like hey we want to keep this company real like real to, to us and something for me with cadence i started cadence just like a dude by himself and we've grown quite a bit in the past few years and hiring people is um, always a real thought process for me. Who comes in? Like, how do they build the team? I don't expect everyone to be the same as me. But so, for example, everyone who's in the company isn't vegan. Everyone who's in the company isn't a therapist. Everyone in the company isn't straight edge, like any of that kind of stuff. 
we're a group of, of, um, of different people, but I need people that I need to feel like there's some kind of like ethical through line that I can connect to people. So with that, uh, something I'm real interested in, like what other companies from the vegan world have you hired from? So for example, like, have you hired anyone from any other like big vegan companies that are, that are out there doing it? I mean, the nice thing about Vancouver, which is, so, you know, we started in Victoria, our current production facility is kind of an old bakery there, 4,000 square feet. Um, we've just taken over the old Day of Foods facility in Vancouver. So 45,000 square feet, real kind of step up in terms of kind of professional manufacturing. But there's a lot of kind of good plant-based companies that have come out of Vancouver, you know, big plant-based companies. Uh, so, you know, like Day of Foods, Gardein, uh, Viga. And we've managed to get some, like, we're not going out there and poaching, but I think we've managed to attract some great talent from, from some of those companies. You know, I don't know, they're, for various reasons, but, you know, those, these are kind of big companies. They've been bought out once or twice. They're owned by big corporations now. So I think we get the kind of people that, one, are passionate about plant-based food, whether or not they're fully vegan. And then two, they want to be in a kind of a high growth, exciting, stimulating environment. And then three, they have, you know, a ton of relevant industry specific expertise, know-how, connections, uh, et cetera. Um, so we've been really, I think, lucky in that regard. But that, that we've also drawn from traditional, like to some people used to work at like a meatpacking facility or like different, we've pulled in a, a really diverse group of people and it seems, seems to be working, uh, I think. Yeah, I'm really proud of, of what we're building. And um, what market challenges are unique to operating a vegan organization? Good question. When we started, I think we, we really lucked out in terms of timing. I think if we'd started a few years earlier, there just wouldn't have been the market or the demand for enough demand for our products to, to have a real good go at it. Now, I think we're really in a sweet spot. Um, so like plant-based is going mainstream, but there's not a ton of you know, competition, it's coming, but there's not a ton of products on the shelf. So retailers, like for years, retailers have been calling us. We've been saying, sorry, we can't make enough. We'll put you on this waiting list and we'll let you know. So, I mean, that's not going to go on forever. And that, that's obviously not a market challenge. Um, that's a, a positive. A big thing is just communicating to your customers or potential customers. What are these products? Do they behave differently? People are always like, how do I cook this thing? Well, it's a sausage, just, you know, throw it in the barbecue or throw it in the pan. There's that educational piece because it's not meat. It's kind of like meat. People have a lot of questions. So, so education is huge. And then I think convincing, this is plant-based food in general, but convincing people, and especially in some areas, to have that first bite of plant-based food because they probably got that PTSD or whatever, or that trauma from having a, a bad veggie burger over the past 20 years. So you got to convince them to try it again. And once they have that whether it's one of our products, whether it's a Beyond Burger, an Impossible Burger, all of a sudden they're like, wow, plant-based food has changed. It's a lot better now. And now they're going to be open to trying more. So that's something we're always trying to do. Just get out there with sampling, go to different events. We've got a food truck. Just get people tasting this stuff and having that positive experience. And then all of a sudden it can kind of shift their whole perception. Then all of a sudden they're not go they're not necessarily going vegan overnight, but they're open to it. They're, you know, they're, they're having, they're not having meat with every meal anymore. Uh, and it's those kind of steps, which I think start people down their own, their own journeys. So one of the things that I've noticed in, uh, not just necessarily in veganism, but in any kind of like anything that's a little bit rooted in subculture is that people love it when you're small and you're intimate and they find you but can have a bad reaction when you start getting big. So you see that in bands, you see it in artists, you see it in like, you know, food in uh, companies. What's the growth been like for you as you're, as you're, go as you're growing and getting bigger, have you gotten any pushback from the community or has it been all support? So we're, I mean, we're still sm small, relatively speaking. Yes. 
you know, we're, we're a public company that we're, we're bigger. We took a less traditional path and we didn't really sell out, right? Field Roast got a ton of flack for selling to Maple Leaf Foods, right? Because they sold to a big meat company, right? So we didn't do that. So I think that helped. What we're trying to do is still be a small company, but with big ambitions and take this kind of approach global, I guess. I mean, we've had our, our fair share of, you know, detractors over the year. It's more been from the other side, though. It's been kind of meat eaters saying, you can't call yourselves butchers. Like, there's no butchery as an art or hunters. Like, we had a lot of that at the beginning. And it was great for business, though, because then, our, the, you know, the staunch vegans came in and said, yes, they can. You know, language evolves. And it, there was a back and forth. And then the news came and covered it. So that was great. In terms, I think the vegan community has been, been pretty supportive of us and what we're doing, which has been really great. And we're just trying to be authentic with the products we produce and the way we, we put ourselves out there. All right. In 2021, you're set to expand into both Vancouver and California. Can you tell us a bit about what the expansion looks like from the inside? So I mentioned before, 4,000 square foot old bakery in Victoria. That's where we're currently making most of our meats and where it's jammed at the seams. Like we're, we're very production limited. And so we got this facility in Vancouver, the old Day of Foods facility. So 45,000 square feet took possession mid-January and we're producing food there now, uh, just in the process of scaling it up. And what we're doing is we're, we just have more space there. We have more power. Uh, we can bring in bigger equipment and we can produce kind of at scale. So, I mean, with our Victoria facility, it's enough to fill our online orders, you know, a few thousand orders a week, our Victoria butcher shop, and then, you know, 300 or so grocery stores and restaurants, mainly in BC, Alberta. This Vancouver facility is going to allow us to kind of increase that by, by 30x once we fully scale it up. Uh, so we can really expand into grocery stores across Canada, get into the U.S. as well. Product is still being made in a very similar way. Do, do you want me to quickly go over how we make our products? Would that be a good inside look? Absolutely. Sure. I'll, I'll tell you how it's done at Victoria. So basically, beans come in, veggies come in, beans go get boiled, veggies get put in this big frying pan, a tilt skillet. Uh, we add the herbs and spices, we throw the beans in, we grind it all up into kind of a mix, a soup gets cooled down, the mix goes in a big mixer. Uh, we add the wheat gluten, it turns into a dough. That dough then gets formed, so it either goes through this kind of burger press or it goes into our sausage stuffer. From there it gets steamed, and then once it's steamed, it kind of holds its shape and has that meaty texture. It'll then get cooled down and packaged. We're taking the same set of steps, but we just have bigger steamers, bigger mixers, bigger frying pans. Still use the same great ingredients, still use the same kind of process, which is just cooking. Uh, but make, you know, 30 times as, as much product. Uh, so we're really excited about that. For California, uh, we actually had signed the lease for the facility in California before we found this Vancouver one. Uh, Vancouver kind of popped up. It was free. It was our, not free, but it was available. <laughs> uh, and it was kind of built out for food already so we could get in there quicker. Um, the California's facility should be up and running by the end of the year. Similar idea, um, larger scale production. We'll be sourcing some of our, our produce from there, our organic produce from that region. We also have a logistics partner there. So basically right now we send pallets from Victoria down to California. They pack them up and send out all of our e-commerce orders from there. So the idea is we'll be making it right there and, and distributing it there and kind of reducing the amount of back and forth shipping that we're doing for kind of one of our largest markets. Nice, man. That's super cool. Um, all right. I got a tough question for you and uh, it's not necessarily about very good foods, it's about vegan business in general. Vegan Magic Bacon Grease, the guy who started that, Chris, I interviewed him a few years ago, and we were talking about how the market has really changed for vegan food, and whether or not that was a good thing. And 
you know, whether or not it was great that it all this stuff was available and that veganism had become this kind of like trendy diet is this idea of like all these things that we wanted to have happen when we were kids and we were young vegans. It's like, oh, wouldn't it be great if everyone cared about this stuff? How it's all come to pass. But of course, the scary part of that is like big business gets involved. He said something that really blew my mind at the time. He was like, listen, you know, as soon as companies, big companies like Burger King or McDonald's or whoever start getting involved, you realize something. They don't care about the meat eaters. They care about all of the business. All they want is an oligarchy. And it's not that having meat products is going to cause them from selling burgers. It's that they're just going to take over the vegan market as well. So it's actually just about creating an oligarchy and that the people who still run this are people who all eat meat. When he said that, I thought about it a lot afterwards. And I thought, can it be ethical? Is it ethical for someone who eats meat to own a vegan business? So that's my question to you. Is it ethical for someone who is a meat eater, who has no intention of becoming vegan, to own a vegan-based business, whether it's a restaurant or a huge company? I'm sure there's, there's lots of examples of that. It is, but I mean, they're already eating meat, which could be argued to not be ethical as well. So it's, it's not like they care. I mean, one of the reasons I, I went vegan was I was getting involved with this business. I didn't, I think I thought it would just be like the, the hugest kind of like disconnect if I'm selling and promoting this vegan stuff, but I'm on, on the side, I'm eating meat. It just didn't, didn't make sense to me. I mean, I think there's, and then there's also a lot of big companies coming into the space and yeah, they don't, they don't really care about the plant-based market at all. They care about, you know, the potential revenue from it. But I think these, like more and more consumers are going to start seeing through that kind of crap. Like, yes, you know, Nestle's got a plant-based burger as well, but a lot of people, especially younger people don't want to buy from the Nestle's of the world or the Tyson Foods or all these big companies, which is, is great. And I think there, there's, there's room for a lot of other brands to, to take up that space. And I think people want to buy from smaller companies that they know that have good products. And I think that's the way things seem to be going, at least on some kind of macro levels. Um, yes, there'll be always be the people who go to, to the Burger King and McDonald's and eat from there regularly. And I think in that case, maybe it's not a bad thing if someone's going in, they normally eat a beef burger, they look up, oh, what's this impossible Whopper? I'm going to try this instead. And they have that good first experience. And that's one less burger of a cow eating. Uh, yeah, I agree. I don't, don't like companies that either kind of label themselves as plant-based when they're not or pivot into there, but it's very clear that they're just doing it to, to kind of cash in. Answer my question. I was going to ask what, the, what your thoughts were on the trend of vegan fast food. So your theory is it drives people toward veganism, but not necessarily agreeing with the man. Well, yeah, fast food at like, at like major chains having a plant-based option. And I guess the, the idea of the argument is, yeah, show them that the demand is there and then they'll you know, provide it. Obviously, I think I'd you know, prefer people eat a burger at your local restaurant, ideally vegan restaurant, fully vegan restaurant. And there are you know, fully vegan fast food chains cropping up and stuff. And people's tastes are, are shifting and changing. I mean, I'm sure they're using it as a tool to get customers who would never go there to, to go there to try the, the vegan option, which isn't great. But if it works the other way around, like when the A&W launched in Canada, I was I was in it, went in there to get one and like five or six other people there were ordering them as well. Um, and some of them were talking like they don't they, they normally get the buddy burger or whatever it is, but they saw this thing and they're going to give it a try. So I think that, I think that's positive or can be positive. Well, it can be positive. I'll tell you when A&W launched, like shout out to my friend, John Pigeon, who works there. And he gave me the heads up. This was coming down the pipe. When it came out, I ate so many all in like a month period. I definitely 
expanded my waistline a lot. So thank you, A&W, for really like causing me some some gains there. All right, listen, man, like, you know, for me, it's just such a it's such a delicate dance between doing good business and also like growing a company. It's hard. Like people, you have to make all sorts of tough choices. It sounds like you're really walking that line and being thoughtful of it. Interesting thing, though, is like before this, you weren't like a, a, a leader of a big organization. You were a person who worked in an organization. So what's it been like for you as a, as a professional who's growing, like kind of unexpectedly been thrust into this really senior role with a lot of responsibility? Yeah, great question. So at my previous organization, I started working there as English customer support. Basically, you know, we sell English games and software in the Japanese market, Japanese games and software out. Ended up just getting involved on in the kind of English side because I didn't speak any Japanese and was kind of like the only person there handling that business. Was able to grow it. So by the end of my time there, I had about, I think, 10 to 15 people that I was, that I, a team that I built and was managing and we were doing various things and translations and marketing. So I had some experience managing people and, and building a team, but I realized very quickly when I got involved with the Very Good Butchers and it was me and James and his thing is he's, you know, he's creative genius. Well, he doesn't call himself that, but anything to do with the food is kind of his domain, taste, profile, production, etc. And then I'm handling everything else. I realized very quickly that there were some large gaps that I had, like my focus had been kind of, you know, marketing, biz dev sales. And so I got to learn all about finance and accounting and HR. And it was, yeah, it was a slow process, you know, over the years, I think I picked it up and we had our, our struggles. And then I think luckily, so with this IPO, we were able to just start putting together a really strong team that kind of filled out a lot of that gaps. You know, I'm the CEO, but you know, James is in charge of research and development. We've got a great CFO. We have a president as well who came over from Dea Foods who's very strong operationally. She's witnessed, you know, Dea Foods be the fastest plant-based company and grow, go through this incredible growth. So she knows what support systems we need to have put in place and she's very people-centric. So we've, we've been lucky to build a team, but it has been pretty nuts. Like I was thinking at the beginning of last year of 2020, we had about 30 employees. Uh, at the end of the year, we had like just over a hundred. Uh, I think wow. now we're at 150 or, or something like that. You know, in the first three years we went from one to 30. So it was, I think more manageable, but when you go through that growth, you have to just kind of trust the, your kind of your, your team to be able to do it. And I found that really kind of f almost freeing. So now I can kind of transition a bit and just be more of a storyteller, you know, go on podcasts. I mean, I'm still working and doing stuff, but I'm not having to do as much of like, you know, for the first three years, I, you know, I was in the restaurant on the weekends, around the till, like it was, it was everything, right? So it's allowed me to not step back, but to kind of shift my role a bit just by having, putting that team in place and having, you know, really good people. I think at the end of the day, if you, if you treat people kind of with compassion and you kind of keep your mission and your purpose as the core, that, that'll cover for a lot of mistakes. Providing, provided you also have enough money to, to keep the lights on, which is the other <laughs> tricky thing. We definitely, yeah, we scraped by for the first few years, um, but it seems like we're, we, yeah, we're on track. So going back to vegan food and restaurants, how far do you think we are from being able to order a vegan steak at the keg? Great question. You know what? I would love to see, to see something like that. In terms of like vegan steak in, in general, like I don't think there's anything in North America. There was that Vivera launch in the UK in grocery stores and it kind of blew up. You know, I'm not going to say what our plans are for food service, but I think what's going to happen is more and more restaurants and larger chains, like a lot of them have already jumped on the plant-based bandwagon. I think some are, are playing catch up. 
they're a little bit behind. So yeah, you know what? I think it's gonna happen one day as they take this kind of big step for them and then realize that it, you know, this makes sense if they do it the right way, right? Then I think it's gonna just become more and more normal for them to have these kind of unique plant-based options that kind of match what they're, what they're doing. Hell yeah. What I'd find even more compelling uh, going off what Monica just said is like, get out of here, keg. Like, let's get like a, a vegan steakhouse and I'd be all in. The opulence of it would also just take me over the top. All right. So as we're wrapping up, uh, Mitchell, this has been a great conversation. You know, I'm going to, I like to add off with like a, a top three kind of question. So I'm going to ask you a top three question. I'm going to ask Monica one and then I am going to weigh in as well. But before we do that, any advice? So I've got two questions for you. First, any advice for the, the young entrepreneurs out there who've got a great idea and they want to do it? We're going to keep this one specifically for the young vegan entrepreneurs, but I think we can transition it over to anyone who's got a great idea. What would you say? What's the advice you'd give for someone who's wanted to start a business? Yeah, I think the big thing is start. Like, don't sit on it. Don't wait. It's not easy. <laughs> it's the hardest thing ever, but you can, you can get it started in your spare time. And then in those early years, like just put yourself out there as much as, as possible. Like we were at farmer's markets, we were getting people tasting, getting feedback, building that community. It's really crucial to, I, for, I think, to, to be connecting directly with the people consuming your products. So don't just, you know, make something and, and get it into a grocery store and then try and, and sell it that way. Like put yourself out there, go to events, obviously not during COVID, but, uh, and then the other thing is, yeah, like you want to make sure you have that that product market fit and have something that resonates and keep tweaking that and changing it until you find something that really provokes a, a strong reaction from people. If you have that, that really good product market fit, it makes everything so much easier. Uh, and you can do things on an accelerated timeline like we did for a three-year timeline. And it's not just because we had, you know, plant-based meat. It was this whole vegan butcher shop concept. It's unique. It gets people talking. Then we have the range of products. It tastes good. It's got a good ingredients. We had blended all that stuff together. And I think if we just had, you know, our burgers and we were just trying to put them in the grocery store, like we'd be years, years behind where we are now. Second question I got for you is, uh, you know, as we're closing off, any last words you got at all? Anything you want to put out to, to the listeners? I always say just eat more plants. You know, if you haven't eaten plant-based recently, you'll find the options. We talked about this earlier. They're incredible. They're getting better every day. You really don't need to be eating animal products anymore. And like, I just start trying stuff. You'll be so surprised at how good it is. I think like even on the dairy, like there's this, this ripple plant-based milk, this chocolate milk is like the best stuff I've ever had. I don't know if you've had it, um, but you find that in almost every category, it's just better. It's better for animals. It's better for the environment. It's better for you most likely. So yeah, just uh, give, give plants a try, I guess. Heck yeah. All right. So here we're going to do a top three, but you know, if you can't think of anything on the spot, cause I'm going to put all of us on the spot here late afternoon, vegan treat. It can be sweet or savory. What are your top three? You're like, you know, it's not lunch. It's not dinner. Maybe you're a little snacky. Maybe you want something sweet. What are your top three vegan treats that you would eat? We'll start with, we'll start with Mitchell. Then we'll go Monica and I'll end. Yeah. And I'm going to take this one. Cause I think you might guys might as well. Uh, I'm, I love the charcuterie boards as well. Uh, I'd, you know, take one of those on a picnic or something crackers and cheese as well. Just like, that's what I'm always snacking on a little cracker little plant-based cheese, a little plant-based meat, make a little thing. So that's big. I'm pretty into like if something's sweet, I'm going like like a gelato or not gelato, like a sorbet or something. Just cold and fruity. Number three, snack, afternoon snack. 
Can you come back to me? I'm gonna, I got to think on this one. All right. Okay. It's got to be good though, man, if we're coming back. All right, Monica. Now, I think I can answer this, but what do you, what do you got? What are three late afternoon vegan snacks? You can name brands or not name brands. It's up to you. I'm going to go with my top three healthy-ish weekday snacks. Um, number one, I love popcorn. So popcorn with a little bit of nooch, a little bit of spirulina, a little bit of sea salt, easy, relatively healthy. Number two, peanut butter. Peanut butter with anything. So usually peanut butter with apple. Number three, cup of coffee, some vegan chocolate, like that Zim chocolate, maybe some ice cream. That's number four. But hey, there's so many options for snacks. Vegan foods, snacks are covered. You can even throw in like some fruit and veg, like go figure. Very well done. Okay, so both of you were relatively healthy. So I feel I got to hold down the unhealth because that is uh, definitely my my corner of the, of the world. I will say, you know, a lot of people talk about veganism, the health, you know, how do you get protein, blah, 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 all this stuff. First of all, all that's total crazy myth. But the other is that like, I'm a total junk food vegan and I love eating candy and ice cream and things like that. So number one snacky thing for me would be Uma Luma ice cream. I love the drunken cherry, which I will smash anytime. Second, I probably have a a sandwich with VO Life cheese on it. Like I can't get it. That cheese is just crushing it. I love it. And then last I would maybe eat an entire bag of squish vegan sour gummies. I would do that in a heartbeat and have no regrets. All right. So those are my top three. Mitchell, back over to you. I haven't had those. Where's uh, squish from? I've been having the smart sweets pretty regularly. They're vegan gummies. Enjoying mm-hmm. those and the Vigo chocolate bars on this whole junk food train. Are, is squish a local company or? Squish is a Montreal-based company, and not everything they have is vegan. So they definitely have lots, a ton of vegan stuff. And so we pick ours up from Vegan Supply, and uh, they have a lot. And you can also order it online. And it's, I mean, it, it's it's really good, which means it's really bad for me because I, I can't stop eating it. But uh, yeah, they're, they're great. Sweet. Okay, so your final pick, Mitchell. Yeah, as I said, I was going to go with the gummies as well. So the Smart Sweets, I, uh, and then also the Vigo... Vigo chocolate bar from Europe is pretty tasty with the hazelnuts. Heck yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was a real cool conversation. Um, and I also compliments on what you've done. It's really cool. Super inspiring to see uh, what is relatively for us a local company. You know, I, I'm here in Vancouver and, and Monica's in Calgary, but we're both in Western Canada. It's really cool just to see what you're doing. And uh, I also say what I would sit down and eat all at one go. I have many times crushed a very good butcher pepperoni all to myself uh, and you know, no regrets on that. So man, all the best to you in the future. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, Monica or Mitchell, any last words from either one of you? No, I mean, thanks so much for having me. I had a great conversation with you guys. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on too. This was a lot of fun. All right, everyone. So I'll see you in the outro and Spencer drop the beat. That was a great conversation. And Mitchell, thank you so much for joining and Monica for co-hosting. So, you know, I think a lot about this um, in terms of diet and the vegan diet. Like, I'm really into it. I think it's uh, been game-changing for me, life-changing for me. I think it's a good thing to do. I'm not a health vegan. I never have. I uh, I try to eat well, but mostly I am a, uh, a guy that eats kind of bad. And I like it. I enjoy it, you know, and I try my best to eat well, but I sure enjoy eating poorly. 
for me, veganism is all about the animals. And uh, it's been a really cool journey from when I became vegan to now to watch how the industry has changed. So when I first became vegan, it was terrible. There was barely anything to eat. And now like I can go anywhere. I can get anything. It's really, really cool. And Mitchell is just one of those people who's inspirational in creating that big continued cultural change that we've got. So man, thank you so much for that. Um, not only do I find it inspiring from a business perspective, also just watching someone who started small and scaled up and is doing it in a very cool way. So with that, I got to encourage everyone that change makers aren't some like mystical person up on a mountaintop who's inspired, you know, by the lightning in the distance. It's just some person somewhere who's got an idea and the guts to do it. You're that person. If you want to be, take the leap, be the innovator, be the change maker, but nothing happens unless something happens. So make it happen. With that, I want to remind everyone that we are produced and edited by Spencer Priest, recorded by Patrick McKechnie, and our design is done by Tammy Levy. Thank you so much for joining. Again, I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond.